Welcome to college at North Point, guys. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Ryan. I've been going to college at North Point for like a little over two years now. Um, I'm 22. I go to Fresno State, where I'm going for my bachelor's degree in history, and I'm minoring in geography, because history wasn't lame enough to start with. Um, yeah. So tonight, I thought that we would talk about singleness and how it's really not that bad. It's got some upsides to it. It's pretty decent. So we're going to talk about singleness on Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's weird. I know. It's weird. So, fun story. I had this friend a few years back. He was my best friend at the time. Uh, and we'd known each other a little bit. But for Christmas, he decided that he was going to go down to like Kinko's or Vistaprint, one of the print stores, and he was going to buy me 500 business cards. 500 business cards. I don't need business cards. I don't use business cards. But that's fine, because the business cards were going to say Ryan Stacy, professional single guy. Yeah. I'm really glad he didn't do that, but he was almost fully committed. So I've been single a lot, a lot. And being single never really feels that great. I've never met anyone who is super gung-ho, super excited about being single, right? That's not something we're, we're real passionate about. But this idea that singleness is less than marriage, it's less than relationships, it's not as good. Um, yeah, that's persisted for a long time. That's been true throughout history. So Oscar Wilde once said that celibacy is the only known perversion. That seems a little harsh. Celibacy is the only known perversion. And there is an old rabbi who said, any man who has no wife is no proper man. Things are not looking good for the single people. And for a lot of my life, I've sort of thought the same way. I agreed with these things. But as I've gotten older, I realized that being single, it really isn't that bad. I found that being single really does have lots of upsides and positives to it. And while I was researching the message and getting ready for this, I found out that the Apostle Paul agrees. He has lots of supporting evidence. So tonight, you may have seen it already, I thought it'd be great to organize the message in the form of six questions. Six questions about being single. And so our main question for the night, question number one, is what is the goal of my singleness? And if you remember anything from this message, remember this question and this answer. This is the most important part, right off the bat. The goal of my singleness. But why is there a goal? Because singleness is an opportunity and not a punishment. That's the first, first fill-in. Singleness is an opportunity and not a punishment. It just isn't. It, God doesn't look at you and say, oh, you messed up. You're going to be single for four more weeks. That's not, how this, that's not how this happens. And it's a goal because when there's a point to something, when, a, when there's a reason behind it, it becomes worthwhile. It's worth it. We give it value. And so the goal of our singleness should be to keep our eyes fixed on heaven and to continue to pursue God. So that's the second one as well, to keep our eyes fixed on heaven and to pursue God always. That's what we should always be focused on. That's what we should always be focused on. But to keep our eyes fixed on heaven and pursue God always, that doesn't just apply to single people, right? That should be this, the goal of not single people. Everybody, everyone's goal in life should be to get closer to God 
and to pursue a better and a deeper relationship with him. And according to Paul, we should embrace our singleness and actually take it as a gift. In Corinthians 7.7, it says, But I wish every person were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Paul laments he wishes that everybody could be single. And in the very next verse, Corinthians 7.8, he says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. He wants people to stay single. That way they can more easily focus on the Lord. They can focus on God and what they're doing. And we know, we know that Paul was a very prolific disciple, and he was a wonderful follower of Jesus, very devout. He's credited with writing 13 books of the New Testament. New Testament's 27 books long. Paul wrote almost half of it. He wrote almost half the New Testament. So imagine for a second, if Paul had a wife, if Paul had a child, or if Paul had a job, do you think he could write 13 books of the Bible with all these other responsibilities? I'm sure he would have done a fantastic job with anything that God gave him, any position God put him in. But he would, have, would he have been such a great disciple or preached or wrote as much as he did with all of these other important responsibilities? He was only able to do the amazing things he did because he didn't have a family, because he was single. And again, in Corinthians, he says this, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Right? It's divided. If we're single, we can focus a little bit better. So, that's sort of the main, the main point. Second question is, why am I still single? Why am I still single? And this isn't the fun question. This isn't, this isn't really enjoyable. But it's one of the most important questions tonight, and it's one that we should take seriously. Because right off the bat, you could be single right now because it's not time for you to be in a relationship. It's not the right time. God has his own master plan that may or may not line up with what we have planned. In fact, his plan often deviates from ours. It's written that God has a plan for our life that is too great for us to imagine. In Corinthians, it says, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. For example, never did I think that I would be on a stage teaching. I don't like public speaking. Communications class in college freaked me out. I hated it. I had to cut a speech short because I started shaking in a class of like 15. But here I am, and I'm comfortable, and I've been looking forward to this for months. This is awesome. And so when God says we're ready, when God thinks it's time, then we can find a good match or we'll find a good relationship. One of the ways that I like to think of it is that God is looking at you. He looks at you and he says, you're good. You're good. And I've got this other person here for you. And they're good. 
but right now you guys aren't ready for each other. You're not there yet. If you two met right now, it's not going to go well. You're not ready for each other. So I'm going to keep them separate until they're both ready. Then they can meet, and then they'll be ready for each other. Then it's a perfect timing. So I added a couple little pictures here that would be equally hilarious. You can go ahead and put the little one. Yep, there's baby me. That is 1999. I am three years old. So, in all of my glory, imagine, provided I get married sometime in the future, my future wife lives next door, and we're friends as kid, and she knows that guy. That's kind of an odd time to meet somebody. That's going to be a weird first date if she remembers that. That's super weird. Another one, if I met my future wife when I was in high school, that wouldn't go well at all, because that was me. I did that in high school. Yeah, I took that in the middle of PE class. I called that the cover art for my country rap album entitled Graduation, because I went to a mountain school, and I thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's on Facebook, by the way. That's not just like hidden on my, that's public knowledge. But I was a different person in high school. I don't do weird stuff like that anymore. I was different in high school, but I was a less good version of myself. I don't like who I was in high school. I don't like that guy. He didn't do great stuff. He didn't make good decisions. If I met my future wife when I was that guy, I'm pretty confident that I would die alone because that guy was not ready. He was not ready for a relationship. And I found out from my mom, talked to my mom, and she said that she found the man that she was gonna marry when she was 19 years old. She found him, she knew him, it's gonna be great. That guy wasn't my dad because she was super, super wrong. That was not the right guy for her. They did not get married, that did not happen. And she said if she met my dad when they were both 19, they wouldn't have liked each other. If my parents met when they were 19, they probably wouldn't get married. I would not be here because it wasn't the right time for them. They, they hit the right time later on in life. If they met any earlier, it wouldn't have worked. If they met any later, it may not have worked. So we may be single because it's just not the right time for us. But that's just one answer to a question that has a whole bunch. So, maybe you're single because you're afraid. I didn't realize that, but I'm afraid because there are a lot of things to be afraid about in a relationship, right? Fear of rejection, fear of losing a friend, fear of making things all weird and awkward. There's a bunch of things to be afraid about in starting a relationship or being in a relationship. And so that's another point, is that you are afraid to act I am afraid to act. But it says in 1 Peter, give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Because eventually, I, we, whomever this applies to, who are afraid, we have to go to God with our fears. We have to pray and we have to work to face our fears. Because that's the only way that we're going to be able to conquer them, is if we face them. You don't have to go all in in one go. You can start slow, build up, but we got to work on it. Or you could be single because of you. 
you could be single because of you. I did say it's not a fun question. It gets better. There might be something with you that's preventing a relationship. But that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that because this is the best time for that to happen. Because you're single, you can work on it without influencing anybody else. You have less distractions, and it's the perfect time for you to seek growth and to make necessary changes. Or you could be single because you're not ready to date somebody. That's, that's true, too. But it's the same thing. It's not a problem as long as you're looking for a solution. If you keep chasing God and you stay in fellowship with him, he'll make clear the ways in which you can grow. And so that's one of the points is that you aren't ready right now. So one of the issues with singleness is that most of us don't want to be single, right? I think most of us would much rather be in a relationship, myself included. I'd like to be in a relationship. But what should I do when there are no good dating options? When there are no good dating options? Simple. Don't date. Don't do it. No relationship is better than a bad one. No relationship is better than being in a bad one. And I always remember, as a, as a junior high student or high school student, coming in here, one of their romance series, and I remember Pastor Travis saying that if dating is the game, then marriage is winning. If dating's the game, then marriage is winning. I think I'd rather win than just play the game forever. That sounds a lot better to me. And it says in Proverbs that it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Sorry. To be fair, I think this applies to all of us, not just the, the ladies. I don't think any of us want a quarrelsome or complaining partner, husband or wife. That's just bad on all fronts. It also says in Song of Solomon, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. The Bible tells us to stay patient and not to force anything that we don't, we don't need to. So, Bradley's been looking forward to this all night. Oh, yeah. So, you guys see this jacket? It's a super nice jacket, right? It's great, very sparkly. It's wonderful. I like this jacket a lot. You cannot have this jacket. This is my jacket. But, uh, I don't know, it might be a little bit small for me. It might fit you, but I don't think it's going to fit me. And it's not, it's not really my style, I don't think, right? I don't know that it's my style. But, eh, who cares? That's what I'm doing. No, because uh, it's cold outside. I don't have a jacket. And now I do. I have a jacket. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh. Sleeves are a bit short there. This feels weird in front. I can't do anything. It lifts everything up when I... This is obviously too small for me. This doesn't work. Eh, I still don't care. I'm going to wear it anyways. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. But it's a nice jacket. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work. I can pull this off, apparently. Even though wearing it is awkward, it's uncomfortable, and it's just generally not right. 
but can you guys see the analogy here? Because this jacket's a bad relationship. It doesn't fit, it's not right, and it's not me. It doesn't work. And if it's something that I knew from the start wasn't going to work, that it was too small, it wasn't going to fit, And it's the same thing as a relationship. If a relationship is visible, if the end is visible before the start, it's probably not going to be a good thing. But once you start a relationship, once you begin one, it's kind of hard to stop. I've got this jacket. I like this jacket. I kind of don't want to take it off. I'm cozy now. I'm warmer. But I'm also very uncomfortable. My arms feel weird. But there's only one way out of this jacket. You have to take it off, which is weird and uncomfortable because it's too small for me. And getting out of a bad relationship is weird and uncomfortable because people have feelings that might get hurt. But I'd rather not have a jacket and have my free range of motion and do whatever I want than to have that jacket that's too small, that doesn't fit me, that just all around isn't right. Because it's better to be single better to be single than in a bad relationship. But even when we enter into a relationship, what happens? We get a significant other, we get our relationship. Do all of our problems go away? All of our bad habits are just broken. We're good. Does the cliche phrase, you complete me, does that come true? No. That's not what happens. When you begin a relationship, both people are the exact same as before except now they have the added requirements and responsibilities of an intimate relationship with somebody else. For a long time, I used to think that once I found a girlfriend, once I found somebody, life was going to be perfect. Life would be great. I'd have a girlfriend. It'd be wonderful. I thought that would solve all my problems. I'd be peak performance Ryan, Ryan 2.0. And if I'm honest, I still have to talk myself out of that because I'd like to believe it, but it's definitely not true. Even if I had a girlfriend, I'm still the same messed up guy. I'm still that weirdo from high school. That's still me. My bad habits are there. My doubts, my issues, they still exist. And I've seen us use an, an analogy around church about a puzzle. Right? So we're all an individual puzzle piece. And when we look at one puzzle piece, you can't tell what the puzzle's about. You can't see the big picture. God can. He's looking at the box. He can see the picture. He knows what's going on with just your piece. I just want to borrow that. So we have one puzzle piece. We've got the one puzzle piece. It's got four sides. So this is one person. It's me, you, anybody. One puzzle piece. You get in a relationship. You find somebody. So you add their puzzle piece on. You still have three sides that aren't full. You can still connect in three different ways. You guys, the two people, they fit well together. It's a good fit. Puzzle pieces only have one other puzzle piece that goes with them. But the three sides aren't connected to anything. Their three sides aren't connected to anything. Our significant other doesn't complete us. They complement us. The other three sides we can fill with God, church, family, work, school, friends, whatever. The list goes on. So we should always focus on working on other important connections should work on other important connections. So, question four. Will I be single forever?
Will I be single forever? As a guy of 22 who's been on exactly one date, I ask this question a lot. Because I want to know, do I have to wait another 22 years for a date? That'd be unfortunate. So looking into this, researching it, talking, asking, trying to figure out what's going on. Will I be single forever? Short answer, maybe. You might. It's not a very satisfying answer. But we never know for sure if we're going to find somebody or not. And according to Paul, both celibacy and marriage are gifts from God. Not just marriage, not just celibacy. Marriage and celibacy are a gift. Celibacy is a gift? I don't like that. That's weird. I, I want the marriage. Celibacy doesn't sound like fun. That's just being single my whole life. And so I'm sure many of us in this room will be blessed with the gift of marriage. But it's also possible that a few of us might have the gift of celibacy. It's possible. But we should strive to look at it that way, as a gift. Singleness is an opportunity, not a punishment. Celibacy is not a punishment. It's an opportunity. It's a gift for us. And we won't really be single forever. We'll all have some romantic relationships in our lives. Some of us may never marry. We may stay celibate. But that's all right. It's God's plan for us. This can help us to get to know other people without all the romantic ideas and intentions and all that weird stuff getting in the way of just solid friendship and fellowship with other people. It says in Luke, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And in John, it says, You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive. You will have abundant joy. He's a good father. He cares about us, all of us, every one of us. But God isn't some wishing well or a genie. He may not always give us what we ask for, but he gives us what we need. He gives us what we need every time. So we may, we may marry, we may not. Either way, it's a gift, and God knows it's going to work for us. So let's assume for a second that we haven't been gifted the gift of celibacy. Let's assume that all of us here are blessed with the gift of marriage. Because question five is, how will I find the perfect one? Well, most of us have already found that. It's Jesus, because he was the only one who will and will ever be truly perfect. But let's change the question. How will I find the right one? The right one. I think that's a better question. It's a more appropriate one with a better answer. And so, one of the easiest ways is that Everyone's looking for their, for their right one, right? Ladies are looking for Mr. Right. Guys are looking for Mrs. Right. We're looking everywhere, trying to find this other person. But while we're looking at somebody else, trying to see if they're the right one for us, somebody's looking at us and seeing if we're the right one for them. Those who are gifted with marriage, you're somebody else's right one. So you should work at being the right one. When I first heard that, 
I found it very sobering. I thought it was, it, it hit me. What am I doing working so hard to find my right one? I've got my own problems to deal with before I'm somebody else's right one. So we should, we should try not to worry or stress over finding our right one. We should work and strive to be somebody else's right one. For example, it's beneficial in a relationship to be a kind and forgiving person. Right? You're not, when you argue, you don't bring up stuff from the past because you've forgiven them. That's, that's what you should do. I hold grudges. I do it. That's not going to be helpful in a relationship. But I'm single. I can work on that right now and make it better. Before, for long-term relationships and marriage, it's helpful to be financially responsible because two people cost more than one person. So if you're financially responsible as yourself, you can spread it with somebody else. You can both be responsible. Those are just some, some small things that we can work on while we're still single. So, last question of the night. And it's the one with the most practical value. How can I take advantage of my singleness? Because we know that our goals are to keep our eyes fixed on heaven, and we should do our best to imitate God and to pursue him always. And as long as we keep that in mind, we're free to try new things, to do what we want, to branch out, to grow as a person. So, I work part-time, and I go to school full-time. But I've filled my schedule with so many things. I think I have a home-cooked meal maybe twice a week. Other than that, I'm getting home at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night every single day. But I've filled it with a bunch of cool, fun, interesting stuff. Bible studies. Church. This takes up a night. But I still make time. Sports events, concerts, fun time with friends, a bunch of different stuff to help stretch and grow and just grow as a person. And so I do a bunch of stuff. I try a bunch of stuff. And I keep really busy, really, really busy. But if I look at my life right now and I'm keeping my singleness goals in mind, and if I compare my life now to a couple years ago, uh, when I hadn't come back to church yet, and I was just really doing whatever I want, uh, I'm a very different person. I would never have gone on a stage and talked about the Bible, because I didn't know it that well. I couldn't have named like two books. That was awful. Even when, I remember the first time that I went and did Question of the Week, like Bradley and Ben did, Question of the Week. I felt so sick. I had to be on stage in front of people. I had to talk for like three minutes. And I felt sick. I didn't want to, like I did it, but I didn't want to. Now I do question of the week like every other week. It's not that big a deal anymore. It's super fun. I enjoy it a lot. And it's like that tonight. This is uncomfortable. This is weird for me, talking in front of so many people. But I've been more excited than nervous for this. I've been really looking forward to this for a while. But that wouldn't be possible if I just stayed in my lane and I said, eh, that's uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. That's weird. Nah, I don't, I don't need that. No, I had to get out of my comfort zone, do something different, try something new. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. 
And one big way to help take advantage of your singleness is to not have other people influence what you do. Because I've seen lots of people who are really excited about something. There's something they really want to do, and they can't get any of their friends to do it with them. So they don't do it. They give up. Because they didn't want to go alone. Right? It's weird to go to stuff alone. Can I get a quick show of hands? How many people have gone to the movies and watched a movie by yourself? Who's gone to the movies by yourself? Less than half. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of us have gone to the movies. Why? It's the movies. You sit in a dark room and watch a movie, and you're not supposed to talk. It's the exact same experience if you go alone. It's weird. My point is that while you're single, you don't have that other person to constantly do stuff with. So you should feel free to do things on your own. Go to the movies. Go to dinner. Dinner on your own is kind of weird. People think that's super weird. It's really tasty. You can go at your own pace. I like it. But being on your own, doing stuff by yourself, it's a great time for personal growth and introspection. One of the, I'll do, I'll do quite a few things by myself. One of the biggest things that I ever did is I bought tickets to the Mid-State Fair in Paso Robles. One day after work, I got in my car, drove down to the fair, which is, Paso Robles is like, what, two, three hours away? Drove down, uh, Mid-State Fair, and I was going to attend a Garth Brooks concert. I was going to go watch Garth Brooks. None of my friends were interested. None of them were going to go. It cost too much. It's hot. They were busy. For whatever reason, they couldn't go. And that's fine. They can't go. They can't go. But I still want to go watch Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks is awesome. I like him. So I drove to Paso Robles. I went to a concert by myself. Then I drove to Pismo because it was like 11 o'clock at night. I'm not driving home. So I drove to Pismo, went to Walmart, and I slept in my car. That's a super weird thing to do alone. But that's the best concert I've ever been to. I've never been to a better concert than Garth Brooks. And I didn't know anybody in the stands. So you should never be afraid to do things on your own. You can do anything you want. You can go anywhere you want to go. You can do anything you want to do. And you can do it however you want. You want to go to a national park? Hike whatever trail you want. You don't have to take anyone's opinion into account. You want to go shopping? You can go as fast or as slow as you want. It's great. It's fun with friends, but it's also fun on your own. So you should enjoy your freedom to try new things. So those are the six questions, six answers. And I'd like to end with two thoughts. So one is that whether you're single, you're married, or anywhere in between, we should all be seeking God above all else. From question one, number one goal. It says in Matthew, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Number one goal in our life. That's what we should be doing right there. And so, lastly, last thought, it's just a quote from a book. Because in big church, you know, they, the pastors, they read all the fancy books, the pastors with like doctorates in theology. Yeah, I, mine's from a quarterback. He wrote an autobiography. It's not as fancy as theirs, but it's still pretty good. So it's from the book Playing for More by Case Keenum. And if you don't, if you don't know Case Keenum, you're not a big football fan. He's not a big name. 
he was the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos last year. He set records, and he's still the current record holder, for career passing yards and career passing touchdowns when he played for the University of Houston while he was in college. And most notably in his career, he was the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings a couple years ago when they had the Minneapolis Miracle and they beat the Saints in the playoffs. Through the last second touchdown, that was Case Keenum. He's a devout Christian man who happens to play football. That's one of the ways he likes to put it. But something that really struck me in the entirety of his book had to do with relationships. Here's his, here's his quote. Chase after Jesus with everything you have. Pursue your personal relationship with Christ. When you're chasing, every now and then, look around to see who's chasing him at the same speed. You're not watching for somebody the whole time. You're watching God. Every once in a while, take a look, see who's with you. I think that's an excellent way to think about and to look at being single. Let's pray. Father, you are good and we love you. We thank you for this evening and the opportunity to gather together in fellowship. Lord, I want to pray that we would all continue to pursue you and keep you as the focus in our life for everything that we do. Help us to be content and enjoy the present. Father God, we acknowledge your great vision for our lives, and I pray that we would continue to trust you because we know you have things planned for us that are better than we could even hope to think of. I pray that your presence is felt within all of us in the coming weeks and that we would remember this message and these questions for when we need them, either for ourselves or for others. Amen.